Okay, church, it is Sunday, October 2nd, 2022, and welcome all of you to our Sheep Gate Fellowship Sunday service. Thank you for being with us. Let me remind you once again of our mission statement here at Sheepgate. We exist to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to love God, to love neighbor, to worship God, to enjoy Him forever. My hope and prayer for us all. As we begin this time of worship of God, uh, let me call you to worship uh, with a reading from Psalm 121. I'm going to read the entirety of this psalm. Um, it's just eight verses. If it helps, you can close your eyes and listen to these words. Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Amen. Let's close our eyes and take a moment to pray. Uh, just a personal prayer to God as we come before Him to worship um, in gratitude, in humility, in knowledge of our own sinfulness and our evil and our wickedness, knowing that we don't deserve rather that we are uh, that we haven't earned or that we deserve any of this rather we are given these things through God's grace and mercy that it is a privilege and honor to uh, to worship uh, before him and to offer these things to him let's just take some time to pray let's remember some of these things that our psalmist has reminded us that our help comes from the Lord he is our keeper he's the shade on our right hand uh, he will protect us from evil keep our soul. What a wonderful thing for us to remember uh, this Lord's Day. Let's take some time to pray and, we'll go, uh, and then we'll begin. Brothers and sisters, allow me to draw your attention to the screen. We're on question 77 of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question, of course, following up with the content of the Ninth Commandment, 
reads today, what is required in the Ninth Commandment? The answer reads, the Ninth Commandment requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. Uh, read this carefully one more time. Uh, it could be a little confusing in its wording. It requires the maintaining and promoting of truth. I think that's that's where you want to underline, if you will, to get the gist of what this uh, requirement or what this description or this answer is telling you uh, about the ninth commandment. That it's the maintaining and promoting of truth between people, uh, between of our own, our neighbor's good name, so for others' sake as well, and especially in witness bearing. So upholding truth and upholding uh, truth between people is important in our in our witness bearing. So the, that's a very important thing that uh, the writers of the shorter catechism uh, are pointing out to us. It's very very it's very interesting when you really get into the details of how they came up with some of these answers. But I found this one to be quite provocative in terms of thought. So take a moment to allow that to soak in. This is what the Ninth Commandment requires. Before we go into a time of worship, uh, later we'll have uh, Richard come up and preach to us and pray for us as we go into his word. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, things going on and happening in the world that uh, some of you may or may not be aware of. Uh, but one thing that happened this week was uh, a lot of things have escalated with uh, Russia Ukraine. Uh, so Russia is now claiming, or I should say Putin is claiming, um, territory like ukrainian territory is his uh, land that he's conquered and he's trying to redraw like he's asking like globally for acknowledgement of russian territory and you, what what was originally and still is ukrainian territory right so uh it's definitely escalating the situation and uh, if you've been i was in europe so i kind of like saw it every day but people are you know very uh aware of what's going on and alert uh, just because it's a lot closer geographically Places like Italy are concerned about possible evacuation of certain areas, uh, nuclear uh, hostility, etc. So, um, yeah, lots to pray for. But I'd like to lift up a prayer for a couple of those things, and and of course, as we go into a time of praise, and our praise team will lead us uh, in our worship of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for um, just this gift we have of this community uh, to worship together course the greater and greatest gift of your son Jesus Christ who came and died for us that in our union with him and that our and with our identities founded in him that we are able to join our hearts and our bodies in worship in honor of you uh, as you so rightfully deserve father God um, as mm, tainted as our lives are and our worship tends to be that you are um, willing to accept even just allow us uh, this honor and privilege to worship you is something lord of course we take for granted but i pray that in this time that we would be in remembrance that this is not to be taken granted for granted but rather uh, that it is to be treated um, with great weight and with great respect um, so father in our hearts may our posture be correct before you um, god as we look around the world and we see some of the things that are happening endless list of things to pray for endless um, but as we read of course uh, in our paper in our newspapers of what's happening and escalating um, in the Russian Ukrainian war and the border there um, father I can't imagine uh, being 
a churchgoer today in Ukraine. Can't imagine being a churchgoer even in Russia. Just imagining what uh, what some of these things mean. Um, so, Father, I just pray that you be with those genuine believers there, and that our prayers uh, for them and for us is to always be in remembrance and in trust of you, your providence, your will. Father, we would always lean on you, as we read in Psalm 121 today, um, that your shade, right, the Lord is our shade on our right hand, uh, that you are a keeper. And so, Father, we just trust in you. So come before you, God, would you be honored and lifted and glorified by the songs we sing. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Pray, sing, and lead us in time of song.
Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this day. Uh, we want to thank you for this place um, that we can gather and worship you. Uh, we thank you for um, the Spirit who gives us faith. faith. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Christ who allows us to approach you and worship you today. Uh, we thank you for your word that's accessible to us. Um, would you just be with Richard as he preaches? Uh, God, speak through him. Um, but Spirit, also, would you be with us as hearers? Give us ears to hear. Uh, we trust wholly in the work of the Spirit to convict us and teach us and correct us in our ways. Um, so, yeah, Spirit, would you be with us today? Would you be pleased with our worship? Um, and, yeah, we thank you so much. Uh, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. seat yeah you can grab you need to or you can grab chairs from the side as well um but yes thank you everyone welcome today for sunday service it's good to see you all i feel like i missed the sunday but i didn't so it's, it's odd uh but it's a pleasure to be with all of you here once again today we have again the pleasure of hearing uh richard speak um and so it's be the second sunday he does so and he'll share shortly with us from matthew 8 now Richard asked me to share the Unreached People group of the day. He's going to regret it really hard in about two seconds because uh, you're going to be praying for the Pahonal Ashenka of Peru. It's the Pahonal Ashenka of Peru. So God bless you with that one. Um, they live in Peru. In Peru, if you're not familiar, they live uh, Peru is on the uh, the western side of Brazil, so western side of South America. Uh, there are only fifteen thousand of these people. But uh, praise God, uh, missionaries have reached out to them. 0.7% of them are evangelical Christians. And there's a few, a few uh, evangelical churches, just a handful, maybe like four or five. Um, they're very poor and they live in uh, great poverty. And uh, unfortunately, they don't have enough food to eat. And so that's malnourishment and other things like that are a concern in this community. Uh, but today we lift up a prayer for this people group um, as they remain unreached. Uh, but at least the gospel has been shared to some of them. So praise God for that. We look forward to uh, further fruit yielding uh, amongst this group, the Pahonel Ashenika of Peru. Uh, so with that, I want to welcome up our brother Richard uh, to once again preach to us God's word. So let's welcome him. Good? Okay. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for having me, Max. It's a real pleasure last week to preach. And um, yes, I'm uh, grateful. It's a privilege to be up here again. Um, 
So this text is a little trickier. So um, if you have questions after, please feel free to ask. the mic necessarily. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right, before we begin, let's start with a word of prayer. <clears throat> oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for um, just the opportunity to worship you, the true and living God. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who um, died on a cross, uh, had his blood shed. He um, rose from the dead. And we give you thanks that we have the full pardon and remission of our sins through his blood. Uh, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Christ um, this morning, um, our Savior, the one who has blessed us, given us eternal happiness. Uh, help us to focus on him. I pray, Lord, um, we just want to thank you for just your sovereignty, as we'll learn about that in this text as well. Thank you, Lord, for being sovereign in our lives. Um, for predetermining and um, governing all things for your own glory and our good. Even when things might get tough, uh, we know that you are in control and you work all things for good to those who love you, to those who have been called. Help us to remember that in all circumstances. Well, I pray, Lord, for people, uh, everyone in this group. I pray that you would be with those who need comforting, uh, be with those who are going through troubles, struggles, May you bless them, be near unto them, and um, grant them your, your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may you be with me now as I get into your word. Uh, may I embark upon this with humility and with um, joy at the same time, and be with everyone here. Help them to, um, help all of us, Lord, to be attentive and to take heed in what you have to say to us this afternoon. So thank you for your word once again. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 8, verse 5. Matthew 8, <coughs> verse 5. <clears throat> I will read it for you. It says this, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, <coughs> he marveled and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, <coughs> Go your way, and as you have believed, let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that same hour. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> the 
This is one of the few times in the Gospels where we see Jesus experiencing genuine amazement. Normally, Jesus was the one who amazed others, either with his words or his miracles. But this time, the very reverse has happened. Someone amazed him. And the cause of this amazement was very interesting. It was the faith of a Roman soldier. Not the faith of a religious leader or a scholar, but that of a soldier. And the faith of the soldier not only amazed Jesus, but it also caused them to say some very profound things about God's justice and his plan of salvation for the world. And what we'll do this afternoon is examine this interaction more closely so that we can better understand what this plan of God is and also get a better glimpse of the goodness, power, and wisdom of Christ. <clears throat> but first, let me provide you with some context. This passage takes place very early on in Jesus' public ministry. And at this point, he has not revealed a lot of information about himself especially not the fact that he is God. So the people in Israel are not really quite sure who he is. All that they can conclude is that he is a prophet sent from God. And our passage begins with Jesus entering into a town called Capernaum, which as we learned last week, was a fishing town along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. This is where he would do most of his early ministry work. And all of Israel, including Capernaum, is now under the control of the Roman Empire. If you're wondering how Israel got conquered 63 years before the birth of Christ, Pompey, the great Roman general and rival of Julius Caesar, entered Rome with a large Roman army. He offered the Jews the chance to surrender peacefully, but they refused and decided to resist. And what was the outcome? Um, to use Victoria's favorite word in Valorant, the Jews got wrecked. They stood no chance against the Romans. The Roman forces were too powerful. Pompey was too brilliant of a tactician. 12,000 Jews died and barely any Romans died. And Israel fell. So in 63 BC, <coughs> Israel ceased to be an independent nation and was annexed into the Roman Empire. That's why when you read the New Testament, you see that Israel is occupied by Rome. The man responsible for this was Gnaeus Pompey. So in Capernaum, where Jesus now is, there are many Roman soldiers stationed there to protect the region from possible invaders from the north and to ensure that taxes to the empire would be enforced. And while Jesus is doing his, Caper his um, ministry work in Capernaum, a Roman soldier comes to him and makes a request. Our text tells us that this Roman soldier was a centurion. And a centurion was a senior officer in the Roman army who had command over a hundred soldiers. So this man had some authority and status in this town. But what's more significant is the fact that this man was a Gentile. In case you don't know what the word Gentile means, it simply means non-Jew. A Jew is a descendant, an ethnic descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and someone who follows the Old Testament. All other ethnic groups are Gentiles, according to the Bible. So that includes the Romans, the Greeks, the British, the Koreans, the Chinese, all Gentiles. It's important to remember that the Jews alone were God's chosen people at this time. God had not revealed himself in a saving way to the Gentiles. Um, he had not entered into a relationship with them as he had done with the Jews. The Gentiles were outside of the church of God and were considered ritually unclean by the Jews. Also, they were looked down upon by the Jews because most of them were idolaters. It wasn't culturally proper for a Gentile to interact with the Jew. So the interaction here 
was very contrary to the cultural norms of that day. Moreover, this man was a Roman soldier. And what did the Jews think about when they saw a Roman soldier? They thought about foreign occupation, foreign oppression, an unclean Gentile empire controlling the affairs of their nation. And obviously no Jew was thrilled about that. But this Gentile soldier was quite different. And we see that in verse 6. He says, <clears throat> Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. First, notice that this Roman officer calls Jesus Lord, which shows that this man held Jesus in high honor. Most Roman soldiers would have looked down upon the people that they conquered, but this soldier didn't do that. Instead, he showed Jesus great reverence and great respect. He clearly believes that Jesus was a prophet sent from God. So this wasn't a typical Gentile idolater. God had already worked this in this man's heart and had given him faith in the God of Israel. Also, notice the severity of a servant's disease. The verse says that the servant was both paralyzed and in extreme pain. That's really a rare combination. You know, if you're paralyzed, you usually don't feel pain, let alone extreme pain. But the servant was experiencing both. So we can infer that this was a deadly disease that medicine couldn't cure. <clears throat> Um, when Jesus heard this request, it would have been in his right to reject it, culturally speaking, because as I mentioned, Jews were not supposed to interact with Gentiles. But Jesus, in his grace and goodness, chooses to grant this soldier's request. He disregards ethnic hostilities. He disregards his status as an unclean Gentile. And he says to him, I will come and heal him. These are really some incredible words. Um, he says with full confidence, I will come and heal him. He doesn't say, I will pray to God, and if God wills, God will heal him. No, he says, I myself will heal him. From this, we see that the power to heal was a part of Jesus' very nature. It wasn't like the Old Testament prophets who had to ask God for a miracle. Jesus possessed this incredible power in his very nature. He could invoke it at will, which is quite remarkable. Now at this point, you would expect Jesus to walk to the soldier's house and lay, to lay his hand on his son, um, to, on his servant, and to heal him. But that's not what happens. Instead, we see a twist in the narrative. The centurion gives Jesus a very unexpected response. He says, Lord, <coughs> I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. This is incredible faith. First, notice the amazing humility of this man's faith. He acknowledges that he is not worthy to have Jesus in his house. And he says this not just because he's a Gentile, but mainly because he understands the greatness and righteousness of Christ. The man had high thoughts of Christ and low thoughts of himself, even though he was a high-ranking officer. And this verse reminds us that this is the kind of humility we need before God if we wish to please him and be in a right relationship with him. We need to remember that God is great, that he is righteous, and that we are not. That we are undeserving sinners before a holy God. And as sinners, we are undeserving of any good thing from him. We should always have this mindset whenever we pray to God because true faith always remembers what we are in relation to a great and righteous God. But the soldier's faith was not only humble, but also great. He says to Jesus, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. So what do we see here? This man had full faith in Christ's power. He had full confidence that Christ could heal his servant 
even though he had an extremely deadly disease. He doesn't ask the question, Jesus, do you possess the power to heal my servant? He doesn't bother with that question. He simply takes it for granted. He had absolutely zero doubt in his mind. But his faith doesn't stop there. He says, but only speak a word, only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. So this Gentile not only believed that Christ could heal his servant, but that he could heal him with just a word, without any physical touch. He believed that one word from Christ could get the job done. In other words, he believed Christ's word was enough. And this is in stark contrast to the Jews who believed that Christ's touch was needed for physical, for healing. For example, in John 4:46, a Jewish man asks Jesus to heal his son. But his request sounds quite different from the soldier's request. He doesn't say, just speak the word and my son will be healed. Instead, he begs and insists that Jesus come to his home so that he could lay his hand on his son to heal him. He needed some physical sign, like Jesus' physical presence. Unlike this Gentile soldier, this Jewish man didn't believe that Christ's word was enough. Instead, he placed limits on Christ's power, something that this Gentile didn't do. And the question I have for you is, is God's word enough for you? As it was for the soldier. Are you able to take God at his word? Do you have full faith in God's word and the promises he has revealed in it? Or do you require some kind of sign? Maybe some special spiritual experience. Or maybe you want God to do something for you first before you will believe in his word. Maybe you want God to give you a good job or wealth or financial comfort before you will believe what he has revealed in his word. If this is your mindset, realize that your faith is lacking and that that is not the kind of faith that God desires from you. Learn from the faith of this Gentile soldier who believed that Christ's word was powerful and sufficient and ask God (coughs) to increase your faith. And then the soldier makes an interesting comparison between his authority and Jesus' authority. He says, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and he does it. So what exactly is Jesus saying here? He's pretty much saying, so what exactly is a soldier saying here? He's pretty much saying this. Jesus, just as I have absolute authority over my soldiers, and I can make them do whatever I want them to do with just one word, so you have absolute authority over bodily diseases, and you can make them do whatever you want them to do with just one word. This is really, really impressive faith especially if you consider what kind of authority an army commander has, especially a Roman commander. If you were a Roman soldier and your commander ordered you to rush into enemy territory with arrows raining down, you obey him immediately without any questions. When he asks you to jump, your only response is how high? His authority is absolute and your obedience must be immediate. And this Roman soldier is saying that Christ's word had that kind of absolute authority over bodily diseases. So we see that his view of Christ's power and authority was extremely, extremely high. He probably doesn't know that Jesus is God because as I mentioned, Jesus hadn't revealed this yet in his ministry. But he believes that the power of God resides in Jesus in some mysterious way, which again demonstrates his high level of faith. 
And we are reminded here that the strength of our faith is proportional to our knowledge of Christ's power and greatness. So if your knowledge of his greatness grows, so will your faith. So get deeper into the word, reflect upon it, and grow in your knowledge of what the scripture says about Christ, and you will see your faith in him grow as a result. And then we get Jesus' response, verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So we see that Jesus was genuinely surprised by what this centurion said. And this shows us that Jesus had a true human nature that could experience genuine surprise. Obviously, in his divine nature, he wasn't surprised at all because his divine nature knows everything because it predetermines everything. But in his human nature, he could experience real, genuine surprise, which is amazing to think about. And his human nature did not expect this Gentile soldier to have the level of faith that he had. Jesus was pleasantly surprised by this, and it caused him to say, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The last part of that sentence is very interesting. Not even in Israel. What is Jesus implying here? He's implying that his own people, the Israelites, the Jews, didn't have the level of faith that this Gentile soldier had. He's implying that the faith of this Gentile soldier was superior to that of his own people. You see, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, most of the Jews didn't believe in him. They liked his miracles, but they didn't take his teachings or his claims seriously at all. Moreover, they believed his power was limited, that he could only heal people with his physical touch. Whereas this Gentile believed that Christ's power was limitless, that he could heal with just a word. And what makes this Gentile's faith so remarkable is the fact that Christ hadn't performed a lot of miracles at this point. So no one really knew the extent of his power. There was not a lot of evidence to work with. Before meeting this soldier, Jesus, Jesus hadn't healed anyone with just a word. It was always by physical touch. And yet, this Gentile soldier believed this very thing. He believed that Christ could do far more than what anybody could have imagined. And this was the kind of faith that the Jews did not possess, a faith that did not require sight. So when Jesus says, I have not found such great faith in Israel, he's indirectly criticizing the Jews for their lack of faith. And he had every right to criticize them because God had been preparing them for Christ, the Messiah, for 2,000 years. God gave them the Old Testament scriptures. He gave them the prophets. He gave them the Passover lamb. He gave them the sacrificial system. All these things pointed to Christ. Moreover, Christ had performed miracles in front of them, and still they didn't believe in him. They had absolutely no excuse for their unbelief. But this Gentile soldier, who didn't have the advantages that the Jews had, placed his faith in Christ, which was remarkable. And this criticism leads to Jesus using some cryptic language to talk about some big changes that are going to happen in the world. In verse 11, he says, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is a really important verse, so we need to slow down and understand what Jesus is saying. He says, Many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Who is Jesus referring to when he says many will come from east and west? Think about it. 
What kind of people live east and west of Israel? The Gentiles, right? The Romans, the Greeks, the Europeans, the Asians, the Indians. Jesus here is talking about Gentiles. He's saying that in the near future, God is going to call the Gentiles to faith. And many Gentiles will believe in Christ and enter into heaven as a result. <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, at this point in the history of salvation, the Gentiles were outside of the church of God and lived in spiritual darkness without knowledge of the true God. Ephesians 2.11 says this, The Gentiles at that time, that is the Old Testament, were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This was the state of all the Gentiles, of all non-Jews in the Old Testament. No hope and without God in the world. From the time of Abraham, the only ethnic group that God revealed himself to was the Jews. The Jews alone were in a relationship with God. All other ethnic groups were in total spiritual darkness, cut off from God. This includes the British, the Germans, the Koreans, the Chinese, the Japanese, everyone. God had not revealed himself to the Gentiles. Salvation was limited to the nation of Israel. So virtually every Gentile in the Old Testament didn't know the true God. And after they died, they were punished in hell forever. There were a few instances of Gentiles embracing Judaism in the Old Testament, people like Rahab, Uriah, but these were very rare exceptional cases. So the situation was quite sad for Gentiles like us in the Old Testament. But something fascinating is happening in our passage. Jesus sees the great faith of this Gentile soldier and it causes him to prophesy about the future calling of the Gentiles when God will bring many Gentiles to faith. Jesus is saying that the great faith of this Gentile soldier is a foreshadowing, a preview of the greater inclusion of the Gentiles into the church of God. So when Jesus says many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, he's saying that many Gentiles are going to enter heaven because many Gentiles are going to believe in Christ for salvation, just as this Roman soldier believed. The Gentiles will no longer live in spiritual darkness because God will soon reveal himself to them. He will open up salvation to them, he will bring the gospel to them, and he will pour out his Holy Spirit upon them so that many will come to faith in Christ. The situation is going to be radically different from the Old Testament. This, um, salvation will no longer be confined to the nation of Israel, but it will extend to all the corners of the earth. And we know that this prophecy will come true. Just a few years after Christ's death and resurrection, what happened? There was an explosion of Gentile converts in the book of Acts. Many Gentiles came to faith in Christ and the true God, something never seen before in human history. And then Jesus continues with his cryptic language. He says in verse 12, <clears throat> But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First off, who is Jesus referring to when he speaks of the sons of the kingdom? He's referring to his own people, the Jews of his day. The word kingdom here is referring to the church of God on earth, which was the Jewish church at that time. And he's saying that the Jews will be cast into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And what is this outer darkness referring to? It's referring to hell, the place where God punishes sinners for all eternity. And why will the sons of the kingdom, the Jews of Christ's day, be cast into hell? It's because they will refuse to believe in Christ for salvation. Now, Jesus isn't saying that every single Jew is going to go to hell. Because we know that a good number of Jews did believe in Christ and go to heaven. You can think of the Apostle Paul, Peter, Lazarus, Mary, Matthew, Mark, John. So there, were a, there was a good number of Jews who did believe in Christ. But what Jesus is saying here is that the vast majority of the Jews will be cast into hell. Because the vast majority of them will refuse to believe in Christ. They will reject him. And we know that this, pro- we know that this prophecy will come true just a few years after this passage, when most of the Jewish nation would not only reject Christ, but also call for his crucifixion and execution. They would engage in the wicked act of killing the Messiah. And Jesus is predicting all of this here. And the language that Jesus uses to describe hell is quite terrifying. He calls it a place of outer darkness, a place of no light, no hope, and no possibility of escape. He says that it is a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, grinding of teeth. People are in so much pain that they need to grind their teeth. It's a place where God pours out his wrath and anger upon sinners, not for a million years, but for all eternity. In Mark 9:48, Jesus calls it a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And this would be the destination of most of the Jews because of their unbelief. And this will be the destination of every single human being who will not believe in Christ, including any in this room who refuse to believe. It's truly horrifying. Hell is a real place, and it's not a place you want to end up after you die. If you are not believing in Christ, the reality of hell should cause you to reconsider what you believe about Christ and how you ought to live in this world. Something to think about. So many Jews will be cast out, and, the gent- and many Gentiles will be brought in. And as I mentioned earlier, this prediction takes place just a few decades after Christ's resurrection. In the earliest years of the New Testament church, the vast majority of the members were Jews. But after a few decades, that would all change. Um, the Jews would become a tiny minority, and the Gentiles would become the vast majority. It's amazing to think about how many Gentiles have come to faith in the last 2,000 years. The church started with just 120 Jews um, in, in Jerusalem, as we're told in Acts 2. But in the next 2,000 years, millions, if not billions, of Gentiles would come to faith in Christ. So many Gentile converts from Europe, Asia, North America. Um, think about places like England, Germany, where the Reformation happened, South Korea, China. The, the, consider South Korea for a second. Like prior to 1900, it was like this godless nation, this terrible nation with drunken people everywhere and savages killing Christian missionaries. But look at South Korea now. Right? So many Christians, and they send out so many missionaries. Um, you know, only after America, I think, Korea sends out the most missionaries. Think about China, the, this communist country, but now it's like Christianity is exploding in that place. And what's amazing is that Christ prophesied about all of this in his conversation with this Roman soldier, which is pretty mind-blowing. And remember, all of us in this room are Gentiles. We are not ethnic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
David, you're a Gentile. Arya, you're a Gentile. Mikey, you're definitely a Gentile. <laughs> Ivy, Chinese Gentile, superior <laughs> to Korean Gentiles, right? Because they invented paper, we invented cyber cafe, right? But um, yeah, all of us here are, are Gentiles, right? And on a serious note, like we as Gentiles should be grateful to God that he didn't leave us in spiritual darkness as he did in the Old Testament. If you had been born in Korea or China or North America in the Old Testament period, there was virtually no chance that you would have learned about the true God because God's saving activity was confined to the nation of Israel. Instead, we would have worshipped our false gods. We would have lived in spiritual and moral darkness. And after we died, we would have been punished in hell forever. But praise God that he caused us to be born in the New Testament period, where the saving knowledge of God has spread beyond the borders of Israel. <clears throat> and praise God for Christ, whose death opened up salvation to the Gentiles. When Christ died and the veil in the Jewish temple was torn, that symbolized the fact that the division between Jew and Gentile was now at an end. And then now salvation and the gospel message was going to go forth to Gentiles like us. So praise God for Christ who ushered in the new covenant. Then we come to our final verse, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And a servant was healed that same hour. <clears throat> so we see Jesus' incredible power here. With just a word, he was able to heal the soldier's servant. There was no need for laying on of hands, physical touch, or medicine. All that was needed was a word, a mere act of his will. And this is the power of our God. So as I end this sermon, the question I, I want to ask you is, who is Jesus to you? Do you believe in him for salvation? Do you believe that he died and rose again from the dead? Do you believe that you have broken God's law and stand guilty before God? Do you believe that you need the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If you don't believe, God is calling you to believe in this Savior. Because if you don't, as Jesus says in this passage, you will be cast out into outer darkness, into hell, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where God pours out his wrath and justice upon sinners for all eternity. So if you are such a person, if you don't believe, I say, turn away from your sins. Repent and believe in Christ for salvation. Experience the goodness and grace of Christ. Place your faith in his blood, in his righteousness, in his death and resurrection. Be reconciled to God and receive the gift of eternal life. If you do believe in Christ, rejoice in the fact that God has given you faith. Just as faith brought so many blessings to this Gentile soldier, remember how many blessings faith has brought to you. Remember that by faith, you have been united to Christ in the heavenly places. Your spirit and Christ's spirit are united. Before you believed in Christ, you were outside of Christ. Now that you do believe, you are in him, spiritually united to him. Remember that by faith, you have received the full forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, and future. By faith, you have received the perfect righteousness of Christ. And on account of that righteousness alone, you stand accepted and righteous in the sight of God. 
And as Jesus says in this passage, if you're trusting in him today, you can look forward uh, to that day when you will sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in that glorious banquet in heaven. In that banquet in which you will be in the presence of God, who loved you and saved you, be in the presence of Christ, who died for you, shed his blood for you, and rose again from the dead for you. Remember that by faith you have received a right entitled to eternal life, an irrevocable right, a right that can never be taken away. So continue to believe in Christ. Continue to place all your hope in him and not in the things of this world. Continue to live for him, serve him, and seek his glory. And may God's spirit move all of us to keep our eyes on Christ and to keep resting in his grace, love, and mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, wonderful passage that reminds us of just the wonderful works you've done in history in bringing the gospel to Gentiles. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you have not left us in spiritual darkness. Instead, you um, have placed us here in this point of history. You have brought the gospel to us. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us faith, and we are grateful for that. I pray, Lord, that this word would remind us how important faith is in your sight and how you want us to keep renewing our faith in you, keep exercising our faith in you, um, because that is what pleases you. So, Lord, um, increase our faith, uh, empower us, strengthen us, and help us, Lord, to um, live by faith for the glory of Christ, our Savior. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. take a quick moment uh, to reflect on today's text. I I was reminded today of just how important it is to have faith and trust, total faith and trust in God's word and his authority. So let's take a moment uh, just personally to pray and reflect.
conversation that ensued between a Roman centurion and Christ our Lord. We thank you for the teachings of that conversation and its record for us in the Gospel of Matthew. We ask, O oh Lord, that what we've learned today would remain on our hearts and in our minds, that it would help us to grow in Christ-likeness and help us to increase in faith to trust in his word holy. God, we thank you for the provision in life, uh, for our finances, for the jobs we have, for the school, uh, and the education we receive. We thank you for the various other forms of uh, providential provision you have over our lives in keeping, our, uh, keeping us alive and helping us uh, or allowing us uh, to experience the life that we have. We thank you, Lord, and we give to you, uh, oh, small, oh, but a small offering and um, symbolic gratitude and also uh, as a form to just entrust this church and equipping it and helping it uh, to continue its function and helping it to grow. We thank you, God, uh, for everything you give, up, give to us in our life. And in gratitude, we come to you humbly. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, everyone, for being with us here today. It's good to see all of you. Uh, I was out of country, and it was fun, but I'm back, ready to... Uh, it's so cold here. It's so hot over there and it's so cold here. I got out of the airport. I was really disappointed uh, <laughs> But it is what it is um, And uh, happy to be with you all this wonderful Sunday. I want to welcome all of you um, Whether it's your first well, Hopefully not last but hopefully, um, you know, we get to get to know you a little bit more uh, Throughout your time here and so we welcome all of you our newcomers and our old comers um, and uh, we look forward to having fellowship with you following the service. Our offerings can be sent uh, via e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. If you're giving towards Asia Minor or any of our local campus ministries, you just note that in the notes section and we'll make sure to allocate those funds towards those causes. Uh, as you know, we're supporting two missionaries in Asia Minor and two local missionaries here on campus working with KC. Um, what's it called? Uh, one of the missionaries that we're supporting in Asia Minor, uh, I'll be sending a copy of her her letter she just got back uh, from a mission trip so a missionary that we were we met on a mission trip many years back is now a missionary locally there in Asia Minor and she is now leading a mission team to another country so they just got back from uh, Azerbaijan and if you're familiar with where that is it's incredible right she took a group of uh, locals went over there did a mission trip came back and her prayer letter uh, just uh, noting some of the details of the trip is incredible to read. It's incredible to read. Like we literally just met her random day and praise God. Just God's crazy like that. So incredible things. Um, so well, I'll share that with you uh, later this afternoon or perhaps this evening. Um, did you guys end up doing the Confession of Faith study last week? Okay, so let me know where we are and we'll continue from there. Uh, all of our recordings, of course, can be found online, YouTube, podcast platform of your choice. And you can listen to and or watch any of our material. Um, bunch of announcements. Just going to ring through them. Oh, men's and women's group. Of course, hopefully we can, following 
your wedding. Hopefully we can uh, maybe continue on with that. Uh, the, we gotta get all the weddings out of the way and then um, our men's and women's groups will continue to run and we'd like to invite all of you to that. So if you'd like to join, please talk to any of us. Okay, so Thanksgiving Sunday, I think is next week, right? So unlike our Americans, we have a dinky version of Thanksgiving here up here in Canada and it's next week. I have no idea why it's a different day, but it's a different day. Uh, is that next week? Am I right? Right? So the adults are preparing like somewhat of a feast for us. Uh, but again, as I mentioned last week, I think it'd be appropriate and nice, a good gesture, uh, for us to prepare something as well. So if you are able, no, you know, you don't have to, um, but if you're able, bring a dish, bring something, uh, and we can enjoy it all together, right? Um, and if there's any allergies or anything like that, just please let us know. I know Andrew, I don't know where Andrew is, but Andrew's allergic, Andrew Moon is allergic to carrots, so be alert of that. Peach and mangoes over here. No peach or mango, please. <laughs> right, allergies, important. Um, so Thanksgiving Sunday next week. Uh, new building next week. So we're in our new place. Uh, I'll send you the address, but it's 96 Huck Nall Road. Uh, it's just four or five minutes north of here. So very close to our church here, which allows us to use both facilities. We're, we're going to be entering into a month-to-month -month agreement on a lease, uh, basically a rent. Um, and we've got a really good price. The church is extremely friendly. Uh, it should fit up to about 80 to 90 people. And we have separate washrooms for men's and women, right? That's an incredible feature of the church that we can look forward to. Uh, so you can do all your business in peace. Um, and, um, yeah, Tambi's wedding is coming up this month. So forget my wedding. That's done with. Um, but uh, Tambi and Jordan, of course, are getting married at the end of the month. And we want to keep our prayers up for them. Uh, having been through it now, I am experienced. It's extremely stressful those last two weeks, um, and so I can only imagine. Um, so whatever offer or whatever help we can offer you, we offer it to you. So whatever you need, just let us know. We'll help you out. So prayers up, and of course anything else that you need. Uh, Andrew is not here, but a is he here? Is he in the back? No, right. Okay. So I don't know where he is, but Andrew is leading our welcome team. Maybe he's getting the welcome team ready. That's <laughs> probably what it is. So Andrew, if you're watching, thank you for doing that. But uh, Andrew and Ivy are leading our welcome team, right? So they're getting stuff ready for hopefully next week. Um, and uh, if there's anybody here who we'd love to have like a couple extra helping hands. Um, and so if you're able, right, it's just like a Sunday morning gig. Um, just help them out and uh, welcome our newcomers and etc. So that's that. Um, October or our summer Bible study, which ended in the summer <laughs> at the end of summer. I'm going to continue on because it's just like so popular, right? Um, so in October, starting not this Thursday, but the week after, right? So this week, I'm going to take it off to just kind of move all my stuff in. Uh, but starting next week uh, on Thursday evenings, uh, I'll be meeting here. It might not be Thursday. It depends on, like, I don't know what's going on with campus. Maybe I'll choose a day that doesn't overlap with campus stuff. Uh, so whether it's a Tuesday or Monday or, or Wednesday or Thursday, whatever it is, uh, we'll pick a day, we'll pick an evening, and we'll gather together. I'll also stream it for those who are like in other cities or whatnot. Um, so you can join us. Maybe like I'll just stream it on the Discord or something. Uh, you can join us that way, and that way uh, we can have Bible study together. So we'll continue on our Gospel of John study. You might have incredible interest as to what book we're going to follow up Malachi with. Uh, I'm going to go straight to Mark. Um, so we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we haven't done a Gospel study in a long time. Like I think the last time we did Gospel was like, I think it was Luke a long time ago. 
so mark 16 15 16 debatable uh chapters of mark we will do um starting next sunday so mark one next sunday look forward to that i know a lot of announcements right crazy week um thank you richard we have a gift for you uh thank you for your service got richard incredible gift from greece i gotta show this off uh, richard i gotta show this off it's a magnetic bookmark Greek philosophy, Plato on one side, Socrates on the other. It says this, I know that I know nothing. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for preaching. Thank you. Your word was a blessing. And then, birthdays. So, honey, I know you're looking forward to this. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Blessing of humility for honey. So happy birthday, sir. Uh, you can... Grab that, and for Ashley, <laughs> how old are you now? 22. 22. Uh, this is one of the books that helped me form a lot of my understanding on the Trinity. So I want to gift this to you. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. I hope you enjoy it. Delight in it. Happy birthday to both of you. We have a cake prepared, so we'll celebrate your birthdays after. And if I'm forgetting anyone's <coughs> birthdays, just let me know, right? If you know people's birthdays, just let me know. <laughs> uh, but with that said, Brothers and sisters, this is the last Sunday we'll be doing this here together like this. Uh, starting next week, uh, like David, you can grab a seat, right? We'll have more pews for everyone to sit into. So you can definitely uh, just sneak into the pew at the end. But uh, let's rise and we'll end off with the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. With that, that's it. We have lunch prepared, uh, so we need some helping hands, tables, chairs, cutlery, kimchi, all that stuff. Um, just one last thing. Next Sunday, service is changing to 2 p.m. So one hour back. Okay, so 2 p.m. service. Uh, just because of the rental time.